Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And in some ways, this is a very difficult passage. It uh, catalogs for us a collection of sinful choices. And those sinful choices cause great harm to the relationships that are in Genesis chapter 16. And it is important to remember as we read this that sin affects everything. It, it not only incurs the wrath of God, but it breaks our fellowship with one another. Sin creates barriers to the love of God and to our fellow man and fellow woman. Even when others are unaware of your secret sin, whatever it might be, you can rest assured that your secret sin has consequences, both to your relationship with God and those who don't even know, with your friends and your family, because sin brings changes in your heart. It makes you view the world differently. It darkens your eyes. It darkens your heart. And it puts up barriers between you and others. And we're going to see that today. So we need to consider also that last week we looked at Genesis chapter 15, which was a chapter on the triumph of faith. It was a big high point. Abram is afraid. God comes to him and comforts him. And Abram asks, Lord, how can I know that you're going to do the things that you said you're going to do? And the Lord patiently reiterates his promises to him. Doesn't give him a new word. He gives him an old word, confirmed. And Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that is the way of salvation. So I say it's a very high mark. But then chapter 16 is followed by a low mark. So why do you think the Holy Spirit in his wisdom inspires 16 to come after 15? At least the contents of chapter 16 after 15. It's going to teach us here today that what God is telling us about them, he's telling them about us. We are fickle creatures. And the hero, once again, of this story is not Abram, it's not Sarai, it's not Hagar, it's God. He is the hero of the Bible from Genesis 1 to the end. Abram is just a normal guy. He sins like everyone else, just like Elijah. Has a nature just like ours. And yet the Lord is gracious and kind and through his life shows us grace upon grace. Start reading today in chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan for ten years, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her, her husband, as a wife. And Abram went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar... Servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarah. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me, or you are the God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is between Kadesh and Barad. In case you're ever in that area, it's between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is actually quite a beautiful story. And I hope, to, if, I hope today that we learn some things from it. Because there is a lot in this passage for us to learn. First we need to look at Abram and Sarah's sin. It sets up the, the sequence of events that could have killed Hagar as she ran off into the desert. Sarah's patience had run out. And who can blame her? She's pushing 80 at this point. She's about 80 years old, over 80. And she decides that she's barren. The Lord has prevented her from having children, so she comes up with a plan. She decides to go with the custom and give her maidservant to Abram as a wife. When the servant gives birth to the baby, then Sarah would claim the child as her own. At least that's her plan. Look at Sarah's words. She says, that I should obtain children by her. Verse 2, go into my servant that I shall obtain children by her. So she's going to take the children that Hagar bore as hers. It's her plan. That's uh, not going to work. It seems that this is the custom of the culture at the time, but you know what? It doesn't matter because that's not how marriage works. It's not how it was intended. It doesn't matter if it was the culture of the ancient Near East for a man to have a bunch of wives. It does not make any difference if it's the culture of the ancient Near East to take people's children from them when they're born. That does not make it right. And Sarah, instead of paying attention to the word of the Lord and how marriage was instituted, decides to take matters into her own hands and go with the scheme. It seems reasonable. It's what everyone else does. But we don't see any inquiry to the Lord about this in this passage. We receive no instruction to do such a thing. And yet, both Abram and Sarah does it. Marriage is designed by God as a union between one man and one woman. And every single time we see it violated in Scripture, it always brings pain and heartbreak. It's till death, for better or for worse. And Abram goes along with his scheme. And as terrible a decision as it is to take Hagar as a wife, I do not actually think this is the most callous thing in this passage. Because the Bible says that Sarah, and I'm, that's bad, but Sarah gave Hagar to him as a wife. And he took her into his embrace. And when she becomes pregnant, Hagar becomes pregnant, she treats Sarah with contempt. And this is where Abram utterly fails, in my opinion, in the the grossest thing that happens. In verse 6, 
he says, But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. That is wretched. Now, look, he's got two wives at this point, And he is not acting like a husband to one of them. I'm not saying that having two wives is right. I think this was wrong. But treating her as a slave and a servant and giving her over to Sarah, who is not in a good place, is really callous and wicked. I am not surprised, even though it's sinful for Sarah to treat her this way, I am not surprised she did because Sarah's barrenness was obviously a hurt for her. And when Hagar becomes pregnant, she now knows without doubt it's not Abram, it's me. And not only does she know, everybody else knows. And when Hagar starts looking at her with contempt, Sarah's heart is broken. She goes in and blames Abram. It's not really his fault. I mean, it is. It's not only his fault. And he, he chickens out. He doesn't say, let me talk to Hagar. Let me talk to her. We'll get this straightened out. He says, your slave is in your hand. Do as you please. That's not the way to treat someone. That's not the covenant which he had entered into, and it's wrong and callous. I wonder if, if you read this, you think, I want to, now think about this really. When you read Genesis 16, did you think Hagar was the bad guy? Because she's not. She hasn't done anything wrong except despise her mistress. That was wrong. She's not the bad guy in this story. She's a slave. I do not blame her for the marriage. What could she do? She had no choice in the matter. She is actually the reverse of what we just learned in chapter 15. What do you mean? Remember that Israel's going into captivity into Egypt for 400 years? The Bible specifically says that Hagar is an Egyptian maid who is now in captivity in Israel, and this is how she's treated. There's a bit of a literary point there for us to consider. Israel is no better than Egypt. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. And anyone who has power in the relationship needs to be aware. And so Abram's wife is treated despitefully, wickedly. Remember, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Thank God because there's no other way of Abe's making it to heaven. And neither us either. So what does Hagar do? She gets dealt harshly with her. Sarah deals harshly with her. Verse 6, we don't know what that means. I don't think it was just a chewing out. She was literally at the mercy of Sarah. I don't know if she beat her or what, but the Bible says it was harsh. Hagar should have had empathy for Sarah. She should have understood the problem, the emotional difficulty Sarah's inability to conceive would have been. But instead of empathy, Hagar treats her with contempt. The entire thing just spirals into one sin after another. Jealousy and competition enters into the relationships. And now then everybody's mad at each other. Sarah's mad at Abram. Abram's being passive, probably pouting in his tent somewhere. Hagar's getting beat and running off in the desert. It's a bad situation. So Hagar runs into the desert. And let me tell you, I don't, like I said, I don't know if she beat her or what, but it's going to be pretty bad if you think, I'm running off pregnant into the desert. That's bad. 
She runs off into the desert while being pregnant, and even though she runs away, the Lord sees her. And that's the point of this entire passage is that this God is the God who sees and hears. And it's beautiful. She runs off into the desert. Remember 15, your children were going to captivity. Where'd they go when they got out of Egypt? In the desert. So she runs off into the desert. And as Hagar runs away, the Lord sees her. And, and when, by the way, when the Bible says he is the God who sees me, it doesn't mean he's just looking. It means he sees her. He knows who she is, the situation she's in, what she's thinking. She has, he has seen Hagar to be seen by God. When the blessing of the Aaron, Aaron's priesthood is, uh, may the Lord lift his countenance upon you, it means to see you. God, the blessing of God is to look at you, to see you, to know you. So he wasn't just looking at her, he really sees. He sees the situation, he sees right to the heart of the situation. And now then this scene reminds us of another scene. Here she is, hiding out in the desert, Adam and Eve, hiding out in the garden. Here comes the Lord, asking questions, as if he doesn't know. Hey, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where are you and where are you going? And I like Hagar's answer better than Adam's. <laughs> and I like it better than Eve's. She doesn't obfuscate. She doesn't say, Sarah beat me, and so I ran away. She says, I am just, I'm running away from Sarah, my mistress. Just straight out confess. I'm running away. Where have you come from? Where are you going? And then the Lord says, return and submit. Now that's rough. I really thought about that passage for a long time. Thinking about what I would say this morning, return and submit. But I want you to notice something here in verse 11. The Lord is not just sending her back. He's at work in this family. He says in verse 11... You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. The Lord has listened. What did he say to Moses when 400 years was up? I have heard the affliction of my people. He came to deliver from captivity. So now he's come to Hagar. I want to say something to you today to make sure that you understand that Hagar is not the enemy here. The physical descendants of Abram are not the only people blessed of God. Hagar is blessed also, and so is her son. Now, if you have this dichotomy in your mind that they are somehow the enemies of God, that's not necessarily the truth. They are not the recipients of the promise that Isaac had, but that doesn't mean that God has altogether and utterly forsaken them. For the word of God tells us every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That means Ishmaelites are the sons and daughters of God. Don't ever forget it. We read it wrong sometimes. The gospel is for Hagar too and her son. And so he says, return. Return to your mistress who has been so cruel to you. And he says, I'm going to bless your son. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. 
I've never seen a wild donkey, but I'm not sure that's exactly a flattering picture. I don't know. But he says, his hand's going to be, I think it just means there ain't nobody saddling this dude. He is going to be wild. People are going to put their hand against him. He's going to put his hand against them. And he will rule against his kinsmen. In other words, they're going to try to subdue this character. It ain't happening. When they try it, they will fail. He will throw off the yoke that anyone tries to put on him. He's going to be unrestrained. He's going to dwell over against all of his kinsmen. He's going to have trouble making peace with them. And then Hagar says something. Verse 13. It's one of my favorite names of God in all the Bible. You are the God who sees me. You've seen me. You know where I came from. You know where I am. You know why I'm here. You've given me great promises. And you've sent me back. You are the God who sees me. But he doesn't just see. He heard. He saw and listened. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful that God listens to us. It's beautiful that God sees us. The God who sees me. He didn't just see. He also listens. And there's a. We can see here, if you read closely, you can see that God is doing a change in this group. There's so much left to the imagination in Genesis, by the way. We don't want to go too far, obviously. But there are some things we can explicitly see in this text. Remember, Abram just treated her callously and let Sarah have her. In verse 11, it says, you shall call his name Ishmael. You shall call his name Ishmael. But in verse 15, it says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Now, how did Abram know to call him Ishmael? Because Hagar told him that the Lord had come and said, This boy's name will be Ishmael. So not only now is the Lord listening to Hagar, Abram is listening to Hagar. It's the only way he could have known. You shall call his name Ishmael. And Abram named him Ishmael because that's what his wife said the Lord said to do. And so things are changing, I believe. God is working in this relationship. And of course, it's not going to be perfect. It is not because they've got into a situation that's bad. And it's going to rear its head again later when it comes to the question of an heir even Abram himself loves his son Ishmael and later he will pray when God says you're going to have a son and Abram said Lord just let Ishmael live before you God has seen God has heard and God has listened and he's working in the relationships as broken as they are I believe to bring healing there because everyone who blesses Abram will be blessed and he's going to bless his friend Abram also If you don't notice that God listens and hears of her affliction, as it says in verse 11, we may not understand how he could send her back to that situation. He's not sending her back there in ignorance, and I don't think he sent her back there uh, knowing that things were going to continue the way they were. God sees and knows, and God can be trusted. And so here's the application of this for us this morning. God sees and hears you. And your situation is as messed up as this one. Not in identical ways. 
But we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all have relationship issues. We all have struggles because, look, what's the first duty? Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is all the law and the prophets hinge on these two commands. Listen, when we break this one, this one's broken too. You cannot commune with your friends and your brothers if your communion with God is broken. And if you break your communion with your friends and others, your communion with God is broken. For he who says that he loves God and does not love his brother does not love God. So you can't hate your brother and love God, and you can't hate God and love your brother. And so every single one of us have these tensions in our relationship because of our own sin that we think nobody else is knowing about that we can get away with, and yet it is breaking relationships and changing things as we know it. But I want you to know this morning that God sees and hears you and knows your situation. Now, I'm reminded of so many times he sweetly and graciously comes to others. He sees and hears. Uh, I think of 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 where Hannah comes before the Lord. She's barren. She prays before God and Eli sees her and thinks she's drunk. She's laying there praying, just praying. She's prayed so much, she doesn't even have any sound coming out. It just sounds like mumbling. He says, how long will you stay with your drink? Get up and get out of here. And she says, no, I'm praying out my soul to the Lord. And the Lord heard and saw, gave her Samuel. I'm reminded of Mary and Martha, the tomb of Lazarus, weeping, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. He saw and heard. He said, Martha, do you not know I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I do. He saw and he heard. I think of another woman at a well where our Lord sat in the heat of the day and she comes to draw water. She's a Samaritan woman, not a Jew, like Hagar. He says, would you draw something for me to drink? He said, how is it that you, being a Jew, could speak to a woman? Not just any woman, a Samaritan. What did Jesus say? If you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask him to give you a drink. and never be thirsty again. He saw and he heard. And she said, she starts talking. And Jesus says, go get your husband. Bring him down here so we can all have a chat. <laughs> she says, I don't have a husband. Sees and hears. You've well said you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. Why would he do that? Because he saw and heard. He knew where she was. He knew where he wanted her to be. And after he explained to her that he was the Messiah, and by the way, he didn't give this information before that to any of his disciples or anybody else as explicitly as he gave it to that woman at the well. She went and told everybody about Jesus because he saw and he heard. And her relationships were messed up too. Mary and Martha messed up. Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things. But Mary's chosen better things, not going to be taken from her. Lord, make her help me. <laughs> Every single one of us is like this. We can go through again and again, and in all of our scramblings and scurryings and sins and angers and jealousies and problems that push others away, 
our anger, the Lord sees and he hears. He put his finger right on it. But he can bring restoration and he can bring blessing as well. God sees and he hears and he doesn't just see and hear. He cares. He deeply cares for you. He loves you. How do you know? How can I know? He heard his people in Egypt cry out for deliverance for 400 years. He said, I've seen the affliction of my people as time ago. And for however many years it's been since Adam fell, he heard the affliction of his people because of sin. He sent his son to deliver us from our sin. He sees, he hears, and he cares, and he delivers. He's so, how do you know how much God loves you? How do we know? How can you measure it? John 3.16, when it says God so loved the world, it means this. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. How valuable is Jesus? How, val- how much is he worth? He is the eternal son of God through whom and for whom and by whom all things were made. He is more valuable than all the universe and everything put together. And this is how much he loves us. He gives us his son as a gift. He sees, he hears, he cares, he gives, he blesses. So today, no matter what your situation is, I want you to know this. God sees and hears, and he cares. And he's provided for us salvation through the son of Abraham. Jesus, son of Abraham, son of Isaac and Jacob and David, all those other sinners, he's sons of all them. A man, a human being, just exactly like us in every single way, except without sin. Dies for us on a cross, risen from the dead, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Abram and Sarah's family is not so much different than yours. Their problems are not so much different from the ones that you experience. And God was faithful to them through them all, and he will be to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will be with us and that you will help us. We are all sinful people. And Lord, our sins, both public and secret, we know, cause heartache both to you and to those we should love. And so, Lord, I pray that you will come meet us by the spring of water. Say, where are you going? Where are you coming from? Give us a little redirection in life. Lord, I pray that your grace and mercy will abound toward us and that we will be enriched by it and you will help us, God. We love you. We are so grateful this morning for Jesus. We are overjoyed at the beautiful gift of your son, Jesus, who takes away our sins and cleanses us from all of our shame. God, have mercy on us this morning and fellowship with us and be gracious with us. Help us as we leave this place, Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll please stand, we're going to sing a song. If you do not know Christ this morning, cry out to him, and he will will save you. He will hear your cry. He's already seen you.
He's already heard everything that you've been through. If you will call on Jesus, you will be saved. If you're interested in our church and want to know more about us or how we receive members, I would love to speak with you about that after this service.